0: The book of of Leviticus chapter 25 this morning, the book of Leviticus chapter 25, if you would turn there with me, Leviticus chapter 25 verses 8 to 12, Leviticus chapter 25 (coughs) verses 8 to 12. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8 reads, And thou shalt number seven sabbaths of years unto thee. And seven times seven years, and the space of the seven sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day, of the seventh month in the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof it shall be a jubilee unto you and ye shall return every man unto his possession And ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. Let's bow for prayer. O God, we bless you and we ask for your blessing upon our lives as we study, as we respond to your word this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray, amen. This being our 50th anniversary as a church, it will be profitable for us to understand the Jewish Jubilee. The Jewish Jubilee was a 50-year milestone on the Jewish calendar. The Jewish yearly calendar revolved around seven main annual feasts. There was Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, first fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Day of Atonement. If we had time, we'd go back to chapter 23 of Leviticus and we will see these seven feasts outlined for us. Here in Leviticus chapter 25 from verses 8 until the end of the chapter God addresses the year of jubilee. The word jubilee is mentioned some 22 times in the Bible. 15 of those times is within this very chapter. The first time the word jubilee is mentioned is there in verse number 9. This jubilee year was to take place every 50 years in Israel's history. The word jubilee means a ram's horn. Now, each new year began with a blowing of trumpets. This was the feast of trumpets. This was to celebrate the beginning of the new civil year. And beyond that festival, 10 days later, was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. So, every 50 years, on the 50th year, at the close of the Day of Atonement, The horns or the trumpets were blown to announce the year of jubilee has begun. And that's what verses 8 and 9 are referring to. Year 50. At the conclusion of the day of atonement, the trumpets were blown once again to initiate, to begin, the year of jubilee. So the year of jubilee begins within the Day of Atonement. Now this is very significant. The Day of Atonement, this particular day was the most solemn of all the Jewish feasts. It involved deep personal examination and acknowledging sin. This day involved repentance and seeking cleansing and forgiveness from God. So this Day of Atonement was a very sacred day within the Jewish calendar. It called for personal examination and cleansing. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 3, please. I'd like for us to quickly just read verses 26 to 32. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 to 32, gives us a summary of the Day of Atonement and the purpose of this day. Verse 26 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be in holy convocation unto you. It'll be a holy day unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, verse 32. And you shall afflict your souls. This is in reference to fasting. It was a day of fasting. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even until even, the Jewish day began at sunset and it started at sunrise shall ye celebrate your Sabbath the Day of Atonement the Day of Atonement within the Jewish calendar biblically was a day of national confession as the high priest went into the holies of holies to sprinkle blood on the altar on this one occasion yearly the day of atonement took place if you were to compare with our calendar within that period of late September early October and the day of atonement was the most sacred day on the Jewish calendar in fact the high priest had to change his colorful garments for plain white garments on this day as he went into the holies of holies to sprinkle that blood. The blood of a bull, the blood of a goat was sprinkled seven times in the presence of God. But there was always another goat that was set free to illustrate the fact that one day one will come. A Messiah will come. And he will become our substitute beyond atoning, covering for our sin. In fact, he will pay for our sins once and for all. And that was the illustration in the releasing of that one goat. So during this day of atonement, the Jewish people would be involved in confession, in fasting, in Sabbath keeping. All part of this sacred day now you might be wondering modern observation of the day of atonement otherwise known as Yom Kippur Jewish people today that are committed of course to their religion will spend the day asking others for forgiveness will take part in charity deeds of course they will fast for the day and they will attend religious services there are five prayer services carried out during the day within every Jewish synagogue books such as Leviticus Jonah the Psalms are read so this day of atonement was a sacred day within the Jewish calendar And as we go back to Leviticus chapter 25, I'd like for us to answer the question, what is the main application of the Day of Atonement for you and I as Bible-believing Christians? Well, it's no coincidence that this Day of Atonement was the very day upon which the year of Jubilee was declared and it began on this 50th year and may I submit to you that God's people were called to be right with God as they began the Jubilee year God's people had to be right with God during this milestone of 50 years and that's why the Jubilee year was declared and it began on the Day of Atonement because the Day of Atonement was all about getting right with God. My friend, God is not interested in individuals just going through the motions of worship. God wants worship that flows from a heart that is right with God and right with fellow man. Let me ask you this morning, are you right with God? As we celebrate our Jubilee year, 50 years this year for Metropolitan Baptist Church, what a milestone. For some of you that might not sound very significant, but I'd like to just simply say, For a church to continue for 50 years, to continue to exist for 50 years, is a huge milestone. For a church, it's a huge milestone. And as we celebrate our Jubilee as a church, are you, am I, right with God God calls us to examine ourselves and this principle is within the context of the feast of the day of atonement because it was on this day this 24-hour day of which the year of jubilee was declared and it began so I'd like to challenge the church family this morning this being our 50th anniversary this is the year to be right with God Amen this is the year to be right with God fully right with God This was part of the Jubilee year. In fact, it was foundational to guiding principles for the year of Jubilee. And every Sunday during the month of February, we're going to focus upon those principles, one of those principles. But for this morning, we're going to focus on the foundational principle of the year of Jubilee, which was all about God's people being right with God. Being right with God and being right with fellow man as they commemorated and celebrated 50 years of God's grace and goodness. Are we right with God? Are you right with God? Christians are good actors. I say professional. We're good at putting on a front. We've worked it out. It's not difficult to look the part. But let me ask you this morning, are you and I really right with God? We need to be thoroughly right with God. And I challenge you on this year of Jubilee, on this 50th anniversary of Metropolitan Baptist Church, I challenge you, this is the year to get right with God. In Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24, the psalmist said, Search me, O God know my heart try me know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting now how do we get thoroughly right with God good question how do we get thoroughly right with God let's seek guidance from a man of God this morning by the name of King David. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. Yet he fell into sin and was in need of restoration. And we have a record of his restoration in Psalm 51. Turn there with me please this morning. Psalm 51. How can we be thoroughly right with God in 2024 during our year of Jubilee. Well, let's study this wonderful chapter and note how David, in need of restoration, was restored in fellowship with God. Let's see how King David got right with God. And may this help us in getting thoroughly right with God during this year of Jubilee as a church. Note then verse number one, please Psalm 51, verse one Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. We see first and foremost in David, King David, desiring to be restored, he rests in the character of God. He wholly rests in the character of God. He makes reference to God's mercy, there in verse number one, he makes reference to God's loving kindness and he refers to the fact that according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So we see here that this man of God was able to be restored spiritually and he had the confidence. He had faith in God. He knew it was possible to be right with God based upon the character of God. That God is merciful. That God is loving. He rested in the character of God as his assurance of forgiveness. And therefore he wrote there at the end of verse 1, Blot out my transgressions, plural, Because of what he knew of his God, that God is merciful and God is loving, he knows with assurance that he can be restored thoroughly before God. And beloved, if you and I are to be right with God, to be thoroughly right with God, we need to spend time in the presence of God, acknowledging that he is ever loving and he is ever merciful and he has the power to cleanse you and I of our sin he had that confidence he had that faith in God he believed it was possible see in Christ if Jesus Christ is your Savior if you have received Jesus Christ as personal Savior from sin then you are positionally right with God Because his righteousness has become your righteousness. And therefore, upon that positional basis, you and I can personally and practically be right with God. Because our God is merciful. Our God is loving. There is no limitation to the love of God. There is no limitation to the mercy of God. And therefore, David said confidently, Blot out my transgressions according to your unlimited mercies and your unlimited love for me. So, he rested in the character of God. Look at verse number 2. We see here in verse 2 that David seeks full, complete, thorough cleansing. Look at verse 2. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin look at verse 7 purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow look at verses 9 and 10 are you still with me look at my verses 9 and 10 hide thy face from my sins Blot out all mine iniquities. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So we see within these verses that the king seeks full, thorough, complete cleansing. He wants to be completely right with God. He doesn't hold on to unconfessed sin in his life. We see from these verses that David is serious about getting fully and completely right with God. What about you? What about you? Are we coming fully clean before God? We often use that little term, coming clean. Come clean. To convey the idea of, um, come on, lay it all out. Come clean. Come clean. And this is what David does. He comes clean. Completely. Completely. He says, God, I want you to cleanse me. I want you to search me. I want you to to work me up, down, in and out. I want to be completely cleansed. I want to be right with you fully. What about you? If you and I are to be right with God, we need to come clean. do we still have skeletons? Skeletons of unconfessed sin. Oh yes, I'll deal with this one over here, but I'm not going to deal with this one over here. That's the average Christian. Talk to me. It's true. And if you and I are serious about coming to the Lord and receiving full and thorough cleansing, that we need to come clean before God and honor Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine, verse twenty-three, and pray that prayer. Search me, O God. No, no. My heart, no my thoughts in other words show me Lord if there are skeletons in my closet that I need to get right with you he seeks full cleansing he has confidence in the character of God to cleanse him but also note then verse number three Psalm 51, it reads, For I acknowledge my transgressions. Note, once again, the word transgressions in the plural. Now, why is that? <laughs> Let me tell you why. Do You want to know why? Talk to me. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, that was dishonorable to God. That was sin, but that was not the only sin. Before he committed adultery, there was a process of wicked thinking. And there were choices he made that were just as sinful as David committing adultery with a married woman. And therefore, it rightfully reads... For I acknowledge my transgressions, plural, my sin is ever before me. David said before the Lord, I come clean, O God, before you. Here it all is. My transgressions. All laid out. He openly confesses his personal sin. I acknowledge or I confess. The word confession has the idea of agreement. It is when you and I take responsibility, listen to me carefully, we take full responsibility and call sin, sin before God. David said, I have sinned. I acknowledge my transgressions. God, I agree with you. David doesn't make any excuses. He agrees with God. I have committed transgressions against you. The need for confession the need to acknowledge the need to agree with god that sin is sin and confess our sin before god this is a prerequisite to forgiveness please turn with me to first john chapter 1 verse 9 a verse that makes it very clear That before there can be cleansing, there needs to be confession. What do we mean by confession? I agree with God, this is sin. It is beyond just saying, I'm sorry, I confess before God, this is sin, I have sinned. Look at verse 9, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And let's say it together. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise. But there needs to be confession. And David confesses his transgression. Gressions, my sin is ever before me he takes full responsibility for what he has done and beloved this could be the very thing that is keeping you and I from getting thoroughly right with God because we we won't take responsibility We're blaming this person. We're blaming that person. We're blaming this circumstance. And we're blaming that circumstance. circumstance. Beloved, every man shall give an account of their own sin before God. And you and I need to take responsibility for what we've done wrong. We need to confess it before God. God, this is wrong. I've committed wrong. I want to be right with you. And this is what David does. Do you really want to be right with God? then you and I need to confess that there are three fingers pointing back at me. One, two, three. Look at verse number four of Psalm 51. Are you still with me? It's a wonderful chapter. I wish I had five hours. But you won't put up with me for that long we're just hitting the high points if I just had five hours right here oh we'd have a blast but we don't look at verse number four look at this the key to understanding Scripture by the way are the words of Scripture okay simple but profound the key to understanding What God means is in the words that are used. Look at verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clean when thou judgest. Within this verse, we see in David's journey and his desire to be right with God, that he admits his sin is ultimately against God. Look at the wording there, against thee, against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's interesting, isn't it? He admits his sin is ultimately against God. Against thee, against thee, he said, thee only I have sinned. Now think about that for a moment. But didn't he commit adultery with Bathsheba? Didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Yes, he did. Didn't he sin against Bathsheba's husband Uriah in deceiving him and then killing him cold blooded? Yes. <clears throat> Didn't he sin against that servant that he commissioned to go and get Bathsheba? Yes. Yes, but yet David writes here, I against thee, thee only have I sinned. Listen to me carefully. The point is simply this. David is not denying the fact that he sinned against his servant, that he commissioned to do that which led to um, shame and he sinned against Bathsheba morally, and he sinned against Uriah deceitfully. Simply, David is saying, he's not denying all of the above, but he understands that his weight, the weight of his sin, is ultimately against God. I've sinned against God. And this is what really breaks his heart. The God that he loves... This is the man after God's own heart. He's saying, I've sinned against God. I know I've sinned against Bathsheba. I know I've sinned against Uriah. I know I've sinned against that servant. But ultimately, oh God, I've sinned against you whom I love. Nobody... wants to hurt those that we love. Is that right? Parents, do you ever want to hurt your children? No matter how frustrating they could be at times? We don't want to hurt those that we love. And, and David bore the weight of his sin, and he said, "Oh God, ultimately I've sinned against you." This man was serious about getting right with God, because he understood—he understood, pardon me—that ultimately, all sin is against who? God that loves you with an everlasting love. God. Look at verse number 5. Behold I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Wow, what a confession. David acknowledges his sinful nature. Takes responsibility for the sin he has chosen to commit. His sin was not the product of his unfortunate circumstances. He made a deliberate choice to sin. No excuses. David confessed I have a sinful nature. My mother conceived me with a sinful nature. And because I've got that sinful nature, I chose to sin. No excuses. Took responsibility. And beloved, listen to me. If you want to be thoroughly right with God, you need to take responsibility for your sin. Stop blaming your grandma. Stop blaming your father. Stop blaming your supervisor. Stop blaming your pastor. You take responsibility for the way that you've responded. You take responsibility for your sin. That you, like I, have a sinful nature and we choose to sin. He acknowledges his sinful nature. Look at verse number 6. Are you still with me? Oh, I think I need another four hours. (laughs) Look at verse number 6, quickly. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Here we see that David is acknowledging not only his sin, he's acknowledging the fact that I made some wrong choices and he's acknowledging the fact I need to be renewed with your wisdom lest i make the same mistake again in other words david is serious about getting right with god because david understands that with truth with the application of bible truth comes wisdom and this is how i can prevent this sin Of ever happening again. I need my mind renewed. I need to fill my heart with truth. I need to have a renewed mind. I need to be, uh, I need the wisdom of God. David was serious about getting right with God. He not only got right wanted to be right with what had happened, he said, I need to, Lord, I need your wisdom to prevent this sin from ever ever happening again. Are you with me? Yeah. That's the mark of somebody that's really getting right with God. Look at verse 8. I'm almost there. Look at verse 8. Look at this. Make me to hear what? Joy. Joy and gladness. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Look at verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. We see from these verses that David wanted his joy to be restored. Sin will rob us of joy. Sin will rob us of joy. Especially unconfessed sin because the conscience will be working us over. And David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He not only wanted his joy to be restored, he also wanted the reality of God's presence to be restored. Look at verse 11, look at this. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The king wanted his joy to be restored. The king wanted the reality of God's presence restored in his life. Sin alienates us from God. And he desired again that intimacy that he once had with God. So he never wanted to be right with God. He wanted that joy to be restored. He wanted the reality of God's presence in his life to be restored. And last but not least, look at verses 16 and 17. We'll cut short because of time, but this will do us. Look at verses 16 and 17. Look at this. This is what a king said in his pursuit to get right with God. He said, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it, Thou de- delightest not in burnt offerings. Look at verse seventeen. Let's read it together after two. One and two. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Wow. David understood that without genuine repentance and humility, restoration is not possible. Listen to me. Without genuine repentance and humility, restoration is not possible. Think about it. David was a wealthy man. He could have offered plenty of animal sacrifices. He was the king. And he said, God, you don't need multitudes of sacrifices. You need for me to sacrifice personally. You need me, O God, to genuinely have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you won't despise that. David was wealthy. He could have offered plenty of animal sacrifices. But he understood that God was after heart change, a heart broken over sin, a heart that genuinely wants to be restored back to God. My friend, are you right with God? We see from this chapter a king that exemplifies before us how he was restored in relationship and service to God. And this being our jubilee year as a church, let's set the stage by making sure that we are all thoroughly right with God. Amen. Are you thoroughly right with God? This was the foundation upon which the year of jubilee began. The day of atonement, a day in which God's people got right with God. And this ignited a year, the year of jubilee. Let's bow for prayer.